0: Be still, be holding. There's something really powerful about doing that. The psalmist said it and encouraged, and it's exactly how I want us to begin this time together. Be still. Set aside the busyness for a moment. Lay down your worries. Eliminate distractions. Forget your plans. Behold Jesus, Savior, Son of God, and Messiah. Just be quiet for a moment before Him. God, we behold our Savior. Too often, God, we just run through life at such a frantic pace, going from one thing to the next. We forget what it means to just be still. And so help us to treasure this moment knowing that the rest of the afternoon and the evening is likely to put us back on that pace, steal our attention. At this moment, God, this one's yours. They're all yours. So forgive us for those times that we failed to give them to you. This moment, God, we we look upon this cross. We look upon this Jesus. We see Him as our Savior. We see Him as Messiah, and we say, "Thank you." We are unworthy, but we are forever grateful, and so we love you, God. Are yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, finding the time to be still and beholding Jesus in such a way is, is really powerful and meaningful and necessary. Right? There's there's a lot of times that we allow just the inevitability of life. Um, the, the natural engagement with the world to, to distract us, right? The world will undoubtedly infuse all these other things that we will start to hold on to, right? And so we'll, we'll hold on to power, we'll, we'll hold on to pride, we'll hold on to lust, we'll hold on to, to wealth, we'll hold on to all these other things, Right, And and sometimes the world is so convincing, we'll hold on to things that are actually very destructive. Destructive not just to ourselves, but to others around us. And we see this more and more frequently when people begin to hold on to things like hate. And they hold on to things like resentment and violence. And if there was ever a, a time when our world and our culture needed people to rise up and to hold on to peace, to be people that hold on to grace and forgiveness and goodness and love in Christ. Now is such a time. This is such a moment. And so what are you holding on to? What what are you beholding in your life? The world needs the church to hold on to Jesus and to demonstrate that. And we're constantly reminded of how needed that is and how necessary it is. Because we'll have these these reminders in life that show us people holding on to the wrong things and just how vicious and difficult this world can become. We were reminded of it last Saturday, not yesterday, but the Saturday before, where we got another news report of another shooting. Just a common occurrence, it seems, to happen with such frequency in our country. We we got reports of an 18-year-old named Peyton uh, Gendron, who goes into a local supermarket outside of, or in an area of Buffalo, New York, and ultimately um, opens fire and claims the lives of ten different people and wounds three more. Right, and, and once again, we're kind of hit with the reality of just how hateful and how violent our world can be. And, and it's being investigated as, as a hate crime. In fact, the Buffalo Police Commissioner, Joseph has stated, the evidence that we've uncovered so far makes no mistake that this is an absolute racist hate crime that will be prosecuted as a hate crime. This is someone who has hate in their heart, soul, and mind. And so we have this 18-year-old kid who decides to hold on to hate and to violence, and ends up destroying not just his life, but many others in the process. And so the question then becomes, how do we respond when we hear things like that and observe things like that? Obviously, you know, I mention it because as the church, at a minimum, and I mean a minimum, we pray. We pray for those families. We pray for everyone involved. But we also owe it to Christ and to our communities in this world to, to ask ourselves what, what are we going to do to help be that voice of hope and kindness and forgiveness instead of hate? How will we speak up? What, what do we change? And it starts here, right? It starts with each of us personally asking ourselves that question, which is one of the reasons why we're talking about it this morning and one of the reasons. I wanted to bring it up is because that quote from the police commissioner really jumped off the page at me. This is someone who has hate in his heart, mind, and soul. Right, and the reality is, is that that is now Peyton Gendron's legacy. Right, I mean, now let me, let me be clear. I believe in the power of the gospel. Right, I, I believe the gospel is for anyone who has done anything. So there, Peyton Gendron is not beyond the grace of God. He has not escaped the gospel's reach. And it should grieve all of us that his heart could be so corrupted by hate. And we should pray for that heart to be set free from such captivity. But even if that happens, right, even if he finds God's grace that has been offered to him, this, this tragedy, this moment, this expression of violence and hate is a forever part of his story. It is part of his legacy. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, how do we shape our legacy in responding to things like that? What, what acts do we take? So Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. I love that. Let me say it again. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. So some of the things we can say this morning is what our legacy won't be. We're not gonna be silent. Right, too often we've seen tragedies and atrocities and expressions of evil and violence or whatever it is in our lives and we've chosen silence, we've chosen indifference. At the worst, we've chosen to respond to hate with more hate. And so we need to at least say, well, here's what we won't be. Maybe some of the solutions are complex and difficult, but here's what we're not going to be as believers and as this church. We're not going to be silent. We're not going to be indifferent, and we're definitely not going to continue this trend trend of hatred. And, And yet at the same time, what really strikes me is the contrasting legacies between Peyton Gendron and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Right? Like on one hand, you have someone who chose violence, and on the other you have someone that chose non-violence, someone that gave in to hate, someone else that gave in to service. Two very different legacies. What will our legacy be? And I asked that question, truly wanting us to think about specifics to racial injustice, the tension that exists in our society. What, what are we practically going to do to help overcome those sorts of things? But I also asked the question hoping that when we think about our legacy, we think beyond just one particular issue, right? But that we actually ask ourselves that question holistically, like what will your legacy be? What will your life say when it's all said and done? Legacy is a really important thing to consider. It's, it's, it actually works very well with a part of what we've been talking about with this idea of living as God's renewed people and especially having a renewed family. Right, that that legacy really shapes who you are and shapes your family perhaps more than anything else by evaluating what your legacy might be is going to give you an insight to determine whether or not you actually lived as God's renewed people and lived as a God-renewed family. Legacy is a really important consideration on this issue and many others. In fact, I came across an article in the Huffington Post that was written in 2015. And it was written by a lady by the name of Joan Moran and here's what she said. She says, the idea of leaving a legacy is the need or the desire to be remembered for what you have contributed to the world. Right? It, it means we all have this desire to contribute something to the world and be remembered for those contributions. Now, a simpler definition comes from Merriam-Webster who defi- that defines legacy as something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Right? So, so you kind of put those two ideas together, right? That, that we have this inherent desire to be remembered for the things that we've contributed to the world, but more often than not, the folks that are going to remember those things are the people who knew us the most, our children, our grandchildren, our spouse, right? That, that's where your legacy is really shaped and defined. And so what is your legacy going to be? How is it being shaped? How is it being defined? What are you contributing to this world? I was reading an article about legacy and, and Jim Dennison said it really well. He says, there burns in every human heart the desire to live a life that matters. We want to be successful, but we want even more to be significant. I think that's true, right? We, we wanna be successful, we wanna see achievements, we wanna have accomplishments, but really what we want is significance, we want meaning. And so the answer to the question of what your legacy is going to be is really going to be driven by where are you finding significance in life? Where you derive meaning. And you know where that is most clearly put on display? Do you know where that becomes the most evident? It becomes the most evident when you're no longer around to see it. When that moment comes and your life has passed. And people begin to sit down your children, your spouse, your loved ones, and they talk about the life that you lived, what they remember, what you contributed to the world. We have 10 families doing just that right now in the area of Buffalo, New York, figuring out the legacy of people who they've now lost. Now as a pastor, I have the privilege, humbling privilege, of being invited into so many of those conversations. And seeing people gather around one another and talk about the legacy that their loved one has left behind. And it's so intimate and it's so powerful. It's, it's oftentimes one of the most encouraging manifestations of faith that I ever get a chance to see. I really feel fortunate and humbled to be a part of so many of those conversations. But I'm also struck by it. Because what, what it ultimately shows us is that even those moments Right? often get reduced to a couple of paragraphs that then are offered up as an obituary that's going to find itself online or in a paper. Or maybe some words that are going to be offered from a pastor or some friends or some family for a 15 to 20 minute message in a memorial service. And that's it. Like That's where your legacy will really be shared with the world. <laughs> what will people say? What will be known about you in those moments? How are you gonna derive significance? What will people say about where you found meaning in those moments? And when we think about the situation in New York, what it reminds us is that that moment, we don't really know how it's gonna find us. Right, like we wanna believe that we're gonna get to live into a nice old age, see our children and our grandchildren grow and get married and go through all these significant milestones and then maybe the Lord will take us peacefully in our sleep. But the reality is, is we don't know. It could come by way of tragedy. It could be sudden. It could be unexpected. right? It could be with a diagnosis and you could see it coming from a long way off or it could happen in a grocery store. We don't know. And so, Asking the question of your legacy is not something you reflect upon later that you hold off and you think, well, I'll just, I'll get to that when I near, we don't know. Every single day we should be asking ourselves, what am I contributing to this world? Where am I finding significance? Where am I finding meaning? What sort of legacy will I leave? That's the question I want us all asking this morning. And it's really a question we should continue to ask day after day after day. How am I shaping my legacy what will people say? How will they look upon my life? What will it say about all the things that I've done? And that's really, to me, an appropriate place for us to continue this discussion, not just from a personal reflection, but really when we think about Abraham and Sarah. Right, we've taken the last several weeks to, to focus in on this question of of really finding renewal within the context of the home, finding renewal as husband and wife, renewal as mom and as dad, and and seeing that play itself out in the family. And as we've walked through the story of Abraham and Sarah, we've seen on repeated occasions, when they were not perfect. They had moments filled with fear and doubt and all these other situations. But what we'll see today is that they left behind an incredibly powerful legacy of faith. Right, all of us want to be remembered positively. We want to be remembered as good people, kind people, compassionate people. But what Abraham and Sarah remind us of and challenge us with in their story is how powerful and effective it can be to be known as people of faith. That it is in faith in Christ, faith in the promises of God, that we really find our significance. Let's take a look at their story. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews Hebrews 11. I know we've been in Genesis to look at their story, but if we're going to talk about the legacy of Abraham and Sarah, that is really best articulated and accentuated in Hebrews chapter 11. And so when you look at Hebrews 11, if you're familiar with this chapter at all, it really is known as kind of this this hall of faith where where all these different patriarchs and heroes of the past are, are really accentuated and highlighted and referenced as being these examples of faith. And, and that really is the tone that the author of Hebrews sets at the beginning of chapter 11. Faith is being sure of what is hoped for and certain of what cannot be seen. Right? And, and I want to start there by saying that all of us are living by faith. Right? Every single one of us. Now your faith is really, really, the way you answer that question is, well, what, is you putting your, what are you putting your faith in? Right? Whether you choose religion or you choose science or you choose secularism or humanism or something, you're putting your faith in something. And wherever you place that faith is going to ultimately shape how you find significance, how you find meaning, and ultimately then what your legacy is going to look like. Right? But this is a whole chapter that speaks to the power and the significance of being people of faith and exactly what that faith looks like. And so as you read through chapter 11, you have these references to all these different people that demonstrate that sort of faith. But, but Abraham and Sarah are given particular focus and attention. Right, and you see a lot of the things referenced that we've already talked about. Right, you see the reference to Abraham leaving a country that was uh, going to a new land that was not his own. You see <clears throat> references to Sarah believing right, that she was going to be given a child, though she was well beyond the years of childbearing age. You see, again, a reference to Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son because he believed God would actually raise him from the dead. You see numerous examples of their story being highlighted as examples of faith. But it's right here in verses 13 through 16 that we have the author kind of stop and speak not just about Abraham and Sarah, but really everyone that's being referenced in this chapter. And in so doing, the author describes faith and and how rich of a legacy it is to leave behind as a legacy of faith. And so I want us to take a look at this description as we see it in, in verses 13 through 16 and learn from it and allow it to challenge us and encourage us to follow a similar example, that we can strive to be those who find significance by leaving a legacy of faith. So follow along with me in chapter 11, starting in verse 13, reading through verse 16. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love this little brief description of faith that you find here in verses 13 through 16 in Hebrews 11. All right, let's walk through it a little bit. Just a couple of things that I want to highlight for us this morning that I think can encourage us and and remind us of the importance of living a life of faith. The first is is the statement that says, All these people were living by faith when they died. I love that. Right? That essentially, when that moment came for them and, and it was time for them to breathe their last, they were living by faith. Man, what a statement! And what a challenge for us. Because again, as I said a moment ago, none of us know how that moment's going to find us or when it's going to find us. And so if it does find you unexpectedly, how will you be living when it occurs? Right? This is again that encouragement to say every single moment matters. Every single moment is a moment to be lived by faith. What a testimony of, of praise and, and really just adoration for children and spouses to be able to say yes they were living by faith when they died they had it here even to the very end what a beautiful picture that is but it also speaks to really in my opinion what Abraham and Sarah have overcome right and what they have gone through and the journey that they've been on because like we said a second ago man they were far from perfect we've covered that on numerous occasions, their, their life had moments that were filled with fear and with doubt and making mistakes and, and, and having all these different things that went wrong, right? And so what we see is that apparently, though they had those moments of challenges and obstacles and fear and doubt, they used those moments, they used those challenges, they used that fear and doubt, and they allowed it to strengthen their faith rather than weaken it. And so if you were to look at the trajectory of their life, right, you would see their faith get stronger, Right? It would increase until the moment that they breathe their last. But for many other people, what can happen is we can go through seasons of fear and doubt or obstacle or challenges, and the opposite happens where faith is diminished and it's weakened. Right? And, and we've talked about this on numerous occasions, of how do we put ourselves on the proper trajectory. And maybe that's a question you need to ask yourself. What kind of trajectory are you on? Like when you think about what you've gone through, what you're going through, is your faith being strengthened or weakened? Or we, we talked about this on several occasions when we were going through the book of Jonah, and many of y'all weren't here for that, it was several years ago, but as we talked about Jonah in particular in his story, right, and we talked about the storms of life coming for Jonah, when, when the storms of life come for us, we really are given two options. We can either press into God or run away from him. Right, And so when I go through those seasons, when you go through those seasons of of fear, when you go through those seasons of doubt, when you go through those seasons of struggle where it doesn't make sense, where you're crying out to God, you're frustrated at God, you can still pour into him. You can still say, I don't understand this God, but I trust you. I don't know what's gonna happen next, but I trust you, and you can press into him. But a lot of people, a lot of people will take those Those moments of fear, those moments of doubt, those moments of challenge and obstacle, and they'll do the opposite. They'll run away from him. They'll question him. They'll turn their back on him, and their faith diminishes. What trajectory are you on? What will people say about you when that moment comes? I love that right here, the author of Hebrews says, all these people were living by faith when they died. What a thing to aspire to. Now, what you also have there, following right after it, is the depth of their faith. Right Before we get an answer as to where they found the source of their faith, you get a further description of the depth of their faith. It wasn't just that it was being strengthened and that it was consistent and sustainable to the moment of death, but also that part of their faith was understanding that they didn't even receive the promises of God. Right? Did you see that? You see how he continues there? They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now, that's remarkable. Right? They didn't even get what God promised them. Now, before we really dive into the implications of that, let's make sure we're understanding it correctly. okay? Because obviously, uh, God's promise to Abraham and Sarah in particular was multifaceted. Right? If you go back to Genesis 12, you can think back on our discussion on that several weeks ago. Part of that was to say that Abraham was going to become a, a great nation, a father of many nations, and a nation that will be blessing to all these other people and all these different things. But embedded within that blessing was this specific promise that Isaac would be born. Right? And Sarah laughs. She doesn't believe it. Abraham laughs. But then eventually Isaac is born. So, so there are two different kind of nuances to the promises that are being referenced here. If you were to go back to Hebrews 6, verse 15, I believe it's verse 15, it actually says, Abraham received what was promised. Okay, and that is likely referring to the birth of Isaac. Obviously, Sarah and Isaac had a son, and that was the fulfillment of God's promise. But what's being referenced here, in verses 13, 14, in this section, is kind of the larger promise of blessing. Right, yes, they, they had a son, they, they saw the birth of Isaac, but they had not yet seen this whole nation of descendants develop. They hadn't seen Abraham's name become great. They didn't see this blessing uh, that was extended to all other peoples of the earth that ultimately gets fulfilled in Jesus, right? Because in Jesus, we see it's not just Jews, but it's Jews and Gentiles alike that are blessed through the grace and the gospel of God. So Abraham didn't see any of that. He only saw the birth of Isaac. He was actually still living in a land that wasn't even yet his own. And yet he still had faith. He hadn't received the fullness of God's promises. He hadn't received any of that, but he still believed. That's pretty remarkable when you think about it, right? It's it's not like Abraham and Sarah get to the final moments of their life and they say, well, you know what, God? You didn't really actually do what you said you were gonna do. You, You didn't make it. Come to fruition like I thought you would, and so then they turn their backs on him, even having not seen it in its fullness, they still believed. And I think that provides a very valuable lesson for you and me. Right? The, the, the lesson is that a lot of times we're not guaranteed the fullness of God's promises to be experienced in this life. What we're really given is glimpses. And that's what Isaac was. He was a glimpse. Right, he was was just a small depiction, a small reference of what this promise could become. And they believed that God would see it through, even if they didn't get to see it in its fullness. And so a lot of times where we struggle is we want to see the fullness of God's promise. And when that doesn't happen, we get frustrated. Right, and we begin to wonder, well, why, why does he continue to allow so much pain and suffering? Right? Why, why can't he just make himself known? Why can't he just reveal all these things and eliminate all these problems? And because he hasn't done it, it weakens our faith. We get frustrated. We begin to doubt. We begin to question. Because we're looking at the, the big picture and dealing with the frustration that, that God hasn't brought in into fruition according to, to our timing as opposed to his. And what people of faith really do, they trust in the glimpses that God gives them. Right, that's where faith is refined and those, those small glimpses that point us to that, yes, there will be a day when all these promises will be fulfilled. What are the glimpses that he gives you in your life that reminds you of his promises? I'm, I'm sure we would answer that differently, right? Each person has a different relationship, a different kind of encounter with God. But think about all the different ways that God gives you a glimpse of his goodness, his faithfulness, his power, and his promises, It could be the subtle moments of taking in an awe-inspiring sunset and being reminded that he is creator. It could be this one-in-a-lifetime or or a couple times-in-a-lifetime unique moment when you hear your child's cry for the very first time. And you're just in awe of how he creates and gives life. It could be those moments where you're crying out in prayer, and you feel something deep within your heart and your soul that goes beyond explanation, and you know that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. It could be those moments when you open his holy word, and you, you read it, and it just ignites something within your heart and your soul, and you can almost feel it in your bones as if he is speaking directly to you. What are those glimpses that he gives you? Do you hold on to them? Do you do you cherish them? Do you foster them? Do you allow them to cultivate your faith? That's, that's where faith is really defined, is understanding that God has not guaranteed a, a life that is gonna be void of pain. He has not guaranteed a life that is empty of suffering. Yet. He has promised those things, church. And they are coming. But right now, in this life, we only get glimpses that assure us that they're on their way. And so trust in those glimpses, even knowing that we may not receive the fullness of his promises in this life. Right, so the depth of the faith of Abraham and Sarah and all those that are mentioned here is pretty remarkable. They didn't even see the things that were promised, and yet they still believed. And they were living by faith when they died. This is their legacy. So the question then becomes, what was the source of such faith? Where did they get such courage? Where did they get such strength? And that's what's described next. For he was looking forward to a city. Oh wait, I went too far up. That was, that was verse 10. Let me go back down. People who say such things, right, show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have opportunity to return. But instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. He says right before that that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They were admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And so really what we begin to discover as we see the description of this faith and the source of this faith is that it's really about identity. It's an understanding of who they were. They were admitting, they were confessing, they were acknowledging, they knew, they believed, I'm a foreigner and a stranger here, right? I I don't belong here, right? It really is remarkable because even literally, Abraham and Sarah, they were living in tents in a land that was not their own, a land that had been promised to them, but one they had not yet received. So they knew all too well what it meant to be the foreigner, what it meant to be the stranger, the minority, the traveler, the nomad. That's exactly their identity. And yet what we see here is that it was so much more than just seeing themselves as a foreigner stranger here in this particular land of Canaan, that they saw themselves as foreigners and strangers on earth. (laughs) They knew that this world was not their home. They knew that this is not where they belonged. They were looking for something greater. They were looking for a better country that was of their own. They were looking for a heavenly country, not an earthly one. And therein lies a very important lesson for each of us, right? That there is this longing, there is this searching that we have within our hearts for something better, something greater, right? The way it's said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is that God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind, and yet mankind cannot fathom what he has done from beginning to end. What that shows us, and you can see it in every corner of the earth, with every society, with every culture, is our hearts long for meaning. It longs for significance. It longs for this understanding that there's got to be something more. But we can't fully grasp what it is. We can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So we try to come up with answers in this search for a greater country, in this search for a heavenly destination. Right? We long for it. We desire it. Because that's what we're made for. And Abraham and Sarah knew that intimately I am not a resident here on earth. I'm made for something greater. And that's where they found strength. That's where they found this sort of faith to be able to say, yeah, I I can leave my father's household. I can leave these people that I know. I can believe that God would actually give me a child beyond the years of childbearing. I can believe that God can even raise them from the dead because I don't belong to this earth. I belong to something greater. That's what they're longing for. That's what they were searching for. What are you searching for? Right? Here, here's what happens. This is where it becomes so critical. This is where we find the source of a faith that's gonna be able to be sustained to the moment that we die. This is where we find the strength to find a faith that allows us to truly uh, be able to, to believe even with just the glimpses of life and not seeing all the fulfillment of God's promises. is right? to recognize our identity as foreigners and strangers here on this earth. right? To recognize that we're made for something greater. And where that becomes challenging, where that becomes difficult, is because if that's our journey, if God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind, the devil is going to do everything he possibly can to convince you that you will find meaning and significance here. To only live for this world, he's gonna do everything he can to have you search for this life rather than the life that is to come. And so a whisper in your ear, you know where you find significance, you know where you find meaning? In your career. Right? In your business and success. That's the legacy you want to leave. Start a business. Be a successful business owner. Think about all the different contributions you can make to this world through your career. That's where your legacy can best be experienced and created. Give yourself to wealth, the pursuit of wealth, luxury, comfort, the accumulation of things. And think about the way that you can bless your children and their children by passing down and transferring this wealth from generation to generations. Give yourself to politics. Give yourself to institutions. Give yourself to organizations. Give yourself to all these different things. The devil is going to do everything he can to convince you your legacy is best shaped by thinking here. And so faith, what it really does, you know what it does? Is it loosens your grip on the world. Right, what we see with Abraham and Sarah is they walked confidently, the older that they got and the more into life that they lived, understanding this world is not their home. Is it yours? Like, what are you clinging tightly to? Where do you find significance? if we're clinging too tightly to this world, and that's where we're trying to create our legacy, what faith will do is remind us that we're created for a greater country, a heavenly country, that is is really something that is far beyond anything we could ever experience here. So loosen your grip. Loosen your grip on this life. And put your faith in the life that is to come. And that is what the legacy of faith really looks like, right? A moment-by-moment moment, uh, confidence and assurance, trusting to the very moment when God calls us home, right? It's, it's a faith that understands that I don't have to have the fullness of God's promises explained to me. I can satisfy myself in all these glimpses that point back to those ultimate promises, right? It's finding that strength and understanding that we are strangers and aliens here on earth. That's what faith looks like. And that's where we begin to shape a legacy of faith as people that really hold dear to that sort of conviction more than anything else. And so that's why we ask ourselves that question this morning. What's going to be your legacy? You know, I've thought about that a lot recently as I've tried to prepare this message. What will be my legacy? Like when that moment comes for me, however it finds me, What will my wife and my children and whoever's left, any other loved ones, what will they say about me? And I can anticipate a couple of things, right? Like I'm, I know they're going to talk about OU football, you know. I can hear him now, man, that guy loved OU football. Look at all these shirts he's got, you know. What are we going to do with all these? I'm sure they're going to talk about my love for movies and hopefully our family movie nights and things like that, and maybe they'll remember that I really loved cooking out for them on the weekends. I hope my kids remember the words that I speak over them each night as they drift off to sleep. There's a lot of things I hope they remember. But can I be honest? If they don't remember any of that, I'll be fine. Because there's really just one thing one thing above all else that I hope they really remember. When they look upon my life and whatever legacy they try to articulate has been left behind, I hope they say, well, there is a man who held unswervingly to Jesus. I hope they remember how we prayed together. I hope they remember how we navigated life's challenges and its difficulties by trusting in Jesus. I hope they remember how we served together and how we constantly sought to point other people to Jesus, that's what I hope, is that they can see that sort of legacy. See, because here's what's going to happen for all of us. We're going to go through life and we're going to encounter moments, be they close at home or across the country or across the world. And it's gonna feel really dark. We're gonna hear stories like the ones we heard last weekend that occurred in Buffalo. And many others like it. And there's gonna be this overwhelming feeling of darkness and evil and suffering and pain and all these things that could potentially shake our faith. All right, have it weakened. And we're gonna wonder is the light ever gonna really be able to burst through? And so my hope for all of us today is to ask that question in a spirit that allows us to be reminded that, yes, the light pierces the darkness, and to not have a moment that our faith is shaken, but a moment where it strengthens. Because when we live that way, here's what we see this author say in that final verse, the people that live that way, well, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And then we get that promise, that assurance, church, that I want to encourage you with today. He has built a city for them. This is not some pipe dream. It's not some myth. It's not some wishful thinking. God has built a city, and that's where we belong. And that's where we're living. That's what we're aspiring to. That is home for us. And that's the city that we need to constantly keep on the forefront of our hearts and our minds. That's the city that belongs to Jesus, this Messiah, this risen Savior. Let me remind you, church, that this Lamb of God, this roaring lion, he will return, amen? And he is on his way. And when he arrives, this new city, this heavenly city, this holy city, this new Jerusalem will come down from heaven, and we will hear a voice at the throne saying, God's dwelling is now among his people, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering or pain. For the old order of things has passed away and he's making all things new. And the light of this new city church will be the glory of God. And that's where we'll live. This is a city where we find a palace filled with promises. Simultaneously, a garden and a fortress. This is the city where, where we will see that there is no more pain, that there is no more night, that we get to stand actually in the purest light of the glory of God. A city where the multitude will gather and sing as one. We will sing this song of this new Jerusalem. right? A song that when it's set to this music, there is no bars, there is no time. It's a symphony of his design because it's sung to the Lamb of God who is enthroned on high. This Jesus, this Savior, this Messiah, he is the hope of this new Jerusalem. And so our faith rests in him and him alone. Let that be our legacy. Let that be where we find significance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do love you. And we do ask, God, that you would lead us as we sung earlier, lead us once again into a greater understanding of what it means to trust you, that we can be still before you and behold you. And God, as we find those moments of stillness, God, that our faith can be strengthened, that we can loosen our grip on this world and all the things that constantly distract us and and lead us astray, God, and may we constantly search for you. Let our faith be strengthened this morning because we know and believe that you have prepared a place for those who love you. And so we declare that love to you, God, and we ask that you would lead us home to the new Jerusalem. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.